What is up, all you beautiful sons of bitches out there? I'm Ian Barr, and welcome back to Wise Guys Hideaway. And tonight we're going to be talking about what, I mean, what I describe as, uh, you know, the Sid Vicious of organized crime, or, or one of the Sid Viciouses, you know, that real live fast, die, die hard and young type mentality, doesn't make it very far type of fella. And uh, that particular fella I'm talking about would be none other than Frankie Yale, who, uh, I mean, who's a legend in his own right, you guys, and we're going to get into that in a second, but first, I'm going to give my shout-outs real quick. Shout-out to Hard Thing Clothing Apparel, shout-out to, you know, Gunnar Lindblom, uh, author to Be a King's Volume 1 and 2, my boy Scott M. Bernstein, the author of the Motor City Mafia and the proprietor of the original Gangster Podcast, uh, my buddy Larry Mazza, author of the book The Life, and uh, soon to have his own podcast here soon, which, uh, that'll be dope, I'll have to check that out, and you should too. Um, I mean, I gotta get him on here before he, uh, blows up on his own, though, hopefully. And I still gotta get Scott on, too, man, so. But other than that, big shout-out to, you know, Ronnie the Cockroach, David Randaz, all the art thing guys. You know, James Ramirez, who needs to get the fuck on here with me and finish off that Tommy Lucchese bit, you bastard. Just leave all these people hanging with a part one. Come on, now. What are we? What are we, amateurs, James? I mean, yeah, we are. But, I mean, hey, what are you gonna do? All right, let's get into this, guys. Now, born Francisco uh, Loyal, Lo, uh, Loyale, I, I'm, I'm not really sure how to say it. It's L-O-E-L-E, Loyale, on January 22nd, 1893, and Longo Bruco uh, Calabrea, which uh, is in Italy. I mean, as you could have guessed from all those fucking vowels that just came out of my mouth. And uh, he would he would leave us on July 1st, 1928, at the you know, ripe old age of 35, you guys, and, uh, he would, uh, although he was born in Italy, he would eventually meet his demise in, uh, Brooklyn. Now, not a lot's known about Frankie Yale. He's kind of another one of those mystery guys because he did live such a quick life, and he really wasn't one of those, you know, flaunty Luciano, you know, type of guys. He wasn't really, I mean, people didn't really notice him not that they didn't notice him I mean he obviously still you know carried a very very big stick and you know killed quite a few people during this era but I mean he wasn't like a John Gotti or a Charlie Lucky or a, you know a Carlo Gambino or something like that he was just a a ruthless thug with a very violent temper and a, a decent mind for business if you will now his family immigrates over here in 1900 flat right and so soon after that our young frankie begins our uh, francesco as he's still going by at this time uh begins you know sort of running the streets pickpocketing stealing thieving you know even uh upgrades to robbing people you know knife point gun point what have you and uh eventually as a teen he sort of becomes like a, a protege, like the one of the earlier protégés of the, you know, the infamous Johnny Torrio, uh, who we did a podcast on just a couple episodes back. And Johnny Torrio introduces him to the Five Points Gang, you know, Luciano, Lansky, Siegel, all those guys. And, I mean, Yale fits right fucking in, you know. Another, you know, another down-and-out kid with a violent temper, and uh, and a chip on his shoulder in in a strange country, during a strange time, not not quite knowing you know what his place in the world's gonna be. But I mean, he's he was gonna find it. Now, as quickly as Torrio you know introduces Yale and brings Yale into the Five Points Gang, Torrio also 
sort of, you know, leaves his protege, like, all right, time to fly on your own, because in, uh, in 1909, Torrio leaves for Chicago to go oversee things, you know, out that away in the Midwest, and, you know, at this, at this period, you know, he's only 16, soon to be 17, he's, you know, Yale's a bit chubby, you know, he's not, not the most handsome fella, I mean, he's, I mean, he's not the ugliest son of a bitch you ever seen or nothing like that either, but he definitely, he didn't have any kind of, like, you know, like how John Gotti had, like, that swagger, or, like, you know, somebody like, uh, who else, even, even a young gas pipe Casso or somebody like that, you know, they kind of have, like, the look, the swagger, the talk, the, he was just kind of, you know, a baby fat, tough guy, you know, because, and don't, don't mistake the baby fat and, you know, the, nah, sort of, I wouldn't call it a soft demeanor, but I definitely wouldn't, uh, he didn't seem to intimidate people until it came time to intimidate people, and then his reputation would carry him from there, obviously, but, yeah, he had, he had to prove himself a lot, one, I mean, one fight, actually, was so vicious, a street fight with him and a friend of his, uh, Bobby Nelson was the guy's name, and it's, uh, it's 1910, and they're in, they're at Coney Island, and, and they're at a billiards hall, pool hall, and a fight breaks out, and from just like, just as legend has it, Frankie Yale just starts crushing people, I mean, you know, one hitter quitter in this guy, hitting this guy with a cue stick, you know, grabs the eight ball, bashes this other guy's head in, so his pension for violence and his, his fuse was very, very short, um, the first time he'd ever be arrested for, you know, a murder that he was believed to be involved in would be in October of 1912, which, I mean, you know, he's only 19, 19-year-old 19 kid, and he's already, you know, sitting on, sitting on the hot box for murder, but, uh, they could never prove anything, so, <clears throat> now, Yale starts to, <clears throat> excuse me guys, Yale starts to kind of get a finesse to this, to the way of the street, to the street life, and how things are, you know, sort of shaping out in his, in his life, and around 1917, he opens the Harvard Inn, uh, which was, you know, a bar in Coney Island that sort of served as a means for everything, you know, you could stop and get a drink, you could place a bet, I mean, I'm sure if you needed to, you know, put a nickel or two down on somebody to get, get clipped, I'm sure you could do that there too, and, uh, I mean, the joint was really happening. The Harvard Inn was a, I mean, it was a real, real good endeavor for Frankie Yale. And actually, it would uh, sort of launch the career of the notorious, notorious Alfonso Capone, who became a bouncer there, you know, 1917, and, you know, sort of works under Yale. And Yale sort of shows him the ropes the way that Torrio had showed Yale the ropes. Which is ironic because just two years from 1917 and 1919, uh, Capone ends up, you know, heading out to Chicago to sort of go under the wing of Torrio. Al was getting in a lot of trouble in Brooklyn, and there was uh, a lot of problems with him. So eventually, Torrio was like, "Well, you send him to Chicago, we'll handle it." Now, besides just you know the Harvard Inn, uh, Frankie Hill also, as sinister as it is, owned a funeral home <laughs> at 6604 14th Avenue. And I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I guess if you got to be in the business of creating the bodies, you might as well be in the business of erasing them too, right? I mean, what are you going to do? I, I always find it weird when I find it weird when people own funeral homes in fucking general, but let alone when like, oh, okay, you're a stone faced gangster and you own, you know, fucking a funeral home where yeah, just getting money hand over fist, I suppose. <clears throat> now at the start of prohibition in uh, 1920, 
which prohibition was the 18th amendment in the constitution which made the manufacturing and sale of alcohol illegal um you know, before Rothstein really cultivates Luciano and Lansky and all of them, Frankie Yale, I mean, get gets right into the game and actually is one of the biggest bootleggers, you know, there is in the city when Prohibition first happens, you know what I mean? I mean, so much so that, I mean, all these big names, you guys, Joe Adonis, who will be the, the next podcast, actually, we'll be doing Joe Adonis, you know, for uh, the next Wise Guys Hideaway. But Joe Adonis, Albert Anastasia, you know, Anthony, Little Augie, Cafano, I mean, they all worked under Yale. They all worked under Yale at some point. Even though they all rose above him, without question, they all worked under him at some point. But Yale's best killer and, you know, enforcer and sort of right-hand man would definitely have to be uh, Willie Two-Knife, uh, Al And, I mean, this guy was a just a savage son of a bitch. They called him Two-Knives because, I mean, obviously he, he fancied a blade, <laughs> you know, if you will. Excuse me one sec, guys, I gotta get a drink. Uh, no alcohol tonight, guys. Just Powerade. <clears throat> it's delicious. Hope y'all hope y'all all are staying healthy and safe, and telling your loved ones that you love them. And you know, hopefully we all get through this, man. I mean, my heart goes out to the ones who haven't, and I mean to anybody who's you know got the virus. You know, I hope you're hanging in there, man. But hopefully we can uh, sort of ease the the shittiness of the quarantine via entertainment. You know, Netflix has been killing it with their specials. Everybody and their brother who's doing a podcast is out here podcasting. So, you know, Wise Guy Hideaway ain't going to be left out. Believe that. Now, back to Frankie Yale, though. Eventually, uh, like any any good gangster and just any good man, really, you eventually realize that uh, you need a woman to calm you down or you're probably going to fucking die. So he marries Maria Delfina. And uh, the two actually have two daughters, Rose and Isabella. But... I mean, the call of the streets and, you know, loose women and money and booze. And, I mean, the bootlegging era was just out of control. So, eventually, the pair, you know, separate. And uh, Yale actually remarries shortly before his death. Uh, he remarries a young uh, aspiring actress by the name of uh, Lucietta. And they end up having a baby girl by the name of uh, Angela, you know, uh, which I'm not sure how many times Frankie Yale even got to hold her or, or visit with her, being that, you know, they're married in 1927, I'm guessing the kid comes along, you know, just shy of 28, and then, you know, by July in 1928, Frankie is fucking dead, so, I mean, tough break, man, that's a, that's a rough life for those three little girls to come up, you know, knowing that their dad was a stone-faced gangster who got himself gunned down, you know what I mean, but, nonetheless, despite his cold heart and his, his penchant for violence and his quick temper, Yale is actually said to be one of the the more charitable gangsters. And, uh, I mean, which is kind of, you know, saying something a little bit. It's, I don't know. It's, it's strange. It's strange. And, uh, I didn't mean to tell you guys earlier, actually, by the way, that in 1909, when leaves for Chicago, that's when Frankie Yale goes from Francesco Loali, or however you say it, to Frankie Yale. He Americanizes himself. I, uh, I sort of breeze past that part. And I apologize, but, We'll double back to that real quick, and now we'll go back to the more charitable Frankie Yale, which is very short-lived, though, because uh, he would he would always show his true colors when need be, like in May of 1920, when Frankie Yale travels to Chicago, and on behalf of, uh, you know, sort of a favor for his mentor Johnny Torrio and his good friend Al Capone, who they're starting to go through turbulence, actually, him and Al Capone at this period in time, um, kills Big Jim Calissimo. 
because Big Jim Calissimo did not want Torreon Capone uh, running hooch throughout Chicago. Calissimo said, you know, we got enough money, you know, there's enough in gambling, yada, yada, yada. He was really just trying to keep Torrio down. Uh, Big Jim Calissimo was one of these old school Sicilian dons who believed you can't let your underlings become as rich or, you know, even nearly as rich or nearly as powerful as you are. They'll overthrow you. And I mean, he is right, but psych fucking trying to keep him down. Got you smoked too, Big Jim. Better luck next time. Now, I mean, along with, you know, traveling to Chicago and doing hits for Capone and Torrio, and I mean, who the fuck ever really needed him, needed him to kill, Frankie Yale would kill. I mean, I think they estimated he racked up anywhere from, you know, 25 to 30 bodies in his short, short 35 years. On this. That's, that's almost one for every year he was alive. I mean, didn't even start killing until he's fucking 16, 17. <laughs> but, uh, along with, you know, doing all, all these various things, he, Frankie Yale's got his own beefs going on, you know, back in Brooklyn. I mean, he's battling the Irish gangs, uh, he's battling rival Italian gangs, you know, for control of the waterfront to, you know, get the hooch in and out. I mean, that's what it was all about at this period in time, you guys. Hooch. Hooch, hooch, hooch was the name of the game. And they were fucking killing each other for it, let me tell you. February 6, 1921, uh, an attempt is made on Yale's life. You know, he's, he's with one of his bodyguards and he's ambushed. And Yale escapes, but unfortunately, his one bodyguard does not. He had two bodyguards with him. The one escaped, as well as Frankie Yale. But the other one was not so lucky. He uh, he ended his career on the streets then and there. And it would be very, very quickly after that. I mean, not very quickly after that, but swiftly after that. July 15th, 1921, uh, Yale's you know brother, uh, Angelo, and another gang member that was involved with Frankie Yale's crew were wounded uh well they were you know sort of just kind of riding around taking the scenic route uh, in bath beach they were ambushed and just fired upon you know like i mean this bootleg era is like it's we have no idea you see the gangland warfare in chicago or the 90s crips and bloods fights in la you know the the biker fights throughout the mid to late 90s you know house angels out it's nothing nothing compared to the bootleg era gangland warfare they're just i mean there's just no comparison they were just leaving bodies everywhere all over the streets blowing up storefronts right i mean like those old movies you see where like ah so you're riding around shooting each other and it's like they're a little far-fetched and they're a little comedic but like take that comedic you know arc away and like you know just throw in some real bullets and you know some uglier guys and i mean that's pretty much how it fucking was man they were they were out of control they were definitely out of control i mean frankie yale was in constant war you know, from from the beginning of Prohibition till the end of his life, really, all over NYC, you know? I mean, see, this guy had so many attempts on his life. July 9th, 1923, another botched attempt on Yale near his home. His, his wife and his daughter are, you know, very nearby. He's, you know, near his house. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, I do believe he's walking on the sidewalk. And he's just ambushed, and they just, you know, boom, 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 boom. And I mean, he, Frankie Yale is just a tough son of a bitch. He just refused to die for the longest time. And he would also take part in all, of the, I mean, not all, but a lot of prolific hits. Like another one, you know, besides Big Jim Calissimo, one of the biggest, you know, mob, mob hits, you know, of the early 19th century, you know. Uh, November 10th, 1924, Frankie Yale, John Scalise, and Albert Anaslemi uh, murdered Dino Banyan at Dino Banyan's flower shop while he prepared uh, flowers for uh, another gangster's funeral, which was a ploy to get him to, you know, when the gentleman came in, 
Dino Banyan puts out his hand to shake it. Frankie Yale puts it out to shake it. Grabs Dino Banyan's hand. Squeezes him. Pulls him in tight. And Scalisi and Anna Slammy uh, pumped umpteen rounds into him, man. Fucking left him, left him right there where they found him. Now, if that wasn't enough, come December, you know, 1925, December 26th to be precise, um, Joe Adonis has a, has a nightclub. And, it, you know, it's sort of a speakeasy, uh, a hang-around joint. Uh, well, I mean... Frankie Yale and his crew bombarded some rivals that they had there. And, and the shooting at the Adonis Club really uh, really kind of set in motion Frankie Yale's demise in organized crime. I mean, he was sort of stepping on toes all over New York City. Him and Capone were beefing like crazy. Capone kept him around till he got through, you know, certain endeavors that he had set out. But, I mean, it just, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't last. And eventually, on July 1st, 1928, Frankie Yale is shotgunned to death at the Sunrise Club on 14th Avenue. And even though he died, his murderous spirit would live on because whoever either killed him or at some point during all of this, guns of his were stolen, including one uh, Thompson submachine gun. And another, I believe, Colt 45 pistol, both of which uh, were matched ballistically, which ballistics were real choppy back then. So, it, I mean, this could all be bullshit. But from everything I've researched, two of Frankie Yale's guns were found at the St. Valentine's Day uh, massacre sites. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if the guns themselves were found, but rounds fired from the guns, you know, that I, I really don't know how they located them later. But I, I do believe uh, they do have all the weapons that were used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre on display somewhere. And the Thompson submachine gun and the Colt 45 pistol are alleged to have belonged to Frankie Yale. So even from the grave, I mean, he was still, you know, laying bodies all over the street. But, I mean, some of these, that's, that's, like, that's why I say, you know, the Sid Vicious approach. If you don't know who Sid Vicious is, he was a, well, he wasn't even really a bass player. He couldn't even play bass. But he was some guy that the Sex Pistols, a punk rock band from the 70s and 80s, put on stage to you know do his thing as a punk rocker and he could only manage to live a 22 short years two of which were, were with the band before uh yeah before completely derailing his life and dying of a drug overdose so a lot of these guys in organized crime i mean they have the same kind of same kind of spiral just with bullets instead of heroin <laughs> well that's gonna about do it for us over here at wise guys hideaway like i said i hope you all stay safe know i love you and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good one, guys.